0: Hello, you're listening to the Sound on Sound People and Music Industry podcast with me, Sam Ingalls. In this special series of episodes, I'm talking to some of the engineers and producers who were nominated at the 2023 MPG Awards. And this morning, I'm very pleased to be joined by Ricky Damien. Welcome, Ricky.
1: My pleasure. How you doing, mate?
0: I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Good
1: in a in a lovely countryside with a very posh Zoom setup,
0: <laughs> as you see from. Yes, I should I should point out this ought to be the best sounding podcast of all time because you are actually speaking to me through a Telefunken two five one copy through an LA two A.
1: Yeah, let's start. Let's start with the geeky stuff straight away. Basically, yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, I wanted to talk to you about this, in fact, because you're nominated in the category of Breakthrough Producer, Mm -hmm. but you actually have a a really impressive track record as an engineer. Um, Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are. So I
1: started, I I approached music when I was a kid. I was about six and I don't really come from a musical family, but my mom suggested I picked up guitar. Um, and so I, 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 sort of started like, you know, noodling and playing guitar, doing a little bit of lessons when I was a kid, you know, music didn't really become anything for me until like age 13, 14, when my music teacher at school <clears throat> started feeding me British music, like specifically like British classic rock. So like Queen, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd. And that's, that's kind of like the first time where music for me, you know, it was more than just an activity. It was more than just a, a background. It was actually something that you could really, you know, have a passion for and so I started having bands and and you know making my I I picked up other instruments, started writing songs and stuff, and then I I approached the, the world of recording uh, potentially around age fourteen, uh, when I for the first time went to record, um, uh, you know a demo or or you know some songs that we had and and it it baffled me how I never thought about the you know the art of making a record and how everything that gets involved it's it's i think it's one of those things that if you don't really see it if you don't go into a studio you could live a whole life without wondering how it's done maybe not so much today because social media kind of shows you but you know, I'm a '90s kid, <laughs> so, and I'm from a small town, so uh, yeah. And and I, I remember just, I literally remember the first time I walked into a studio. I was like, it was it was just a small basement studio, nothing nothing fancy. And but the idea of you know manipulating sound, capturing sound, the microphones, like it was it was just it, it blew my mind, and I think I was hooked from day one. So that's kind of when I you know understood that maybe that was something I really wanted to do. And I started assisting at the biggest studio in town, which was a really, you know, old school, big rooms, analog board, tape machine, a lot of Neumann mics. Um, beautiful, beautiful studio. One of the best sounding rooms, in, even even after going through a lot of, you know, beautiful studios in the world, that stays one of the best sounding live rooms in the world to me. Um, beautifully done. And And I learned a lot. I learned a lot by just witnessing, you know, witnessing people you know, be great in a room, which ultimately I think is what drawn me to this world is like being able to, you know, share the, the the air with like musicians, engineers, writers, artists, producers, and really witness magic being made potentially uh, and, and being part of the team that is responsible for capturing that. I think it's just, it's a privilege as a music fan, but also like an activity that almost, you know, inspired everything I do and became effectively my career later on and this was in italy yes this was in italy yeah in a little town called treviso which is near venice sort of like ha- half an hour inland and then i moved to london when i was 19 straight out of high school um to p- pursue this career from a economical point of view as well so i, I started at sae uh which at the time i thought was probably the-, the biggest institution or the one with the most studios or you know they had 24 7 studios so i literally you know moved to moved to their studios for a couple of years um which was a joy, you know, like they had a VR, they had a G plus, they had, um, you know, a a lot of different rooms and, you know, you get geeky pretty quickly in this industry. So, you know, my goal was like, I want to know everything about this. I want to know everything about that. I want to make the most out of it. You know, it's a very expensive school and it's been a sacrifice to do this, so I want to be the best. And um, basically, as I I was finishing my year um, and I was writing my major project... um, the school received a, a request uh, of if they had any engineers, they would suggest straight out of school. But that they had, you know, tape knowledge and analog boards knowledge and, you know, all, all the old world. And I was the only kid. Um, so I got the job straight away because I, as in I got the interview straight away because there was nobody else that knew how to use tape. And that was Mark Ronson. um. And basically within... Well, that's a pretty good break. It's a pretty good break. I'm not going to lie. That was actually, you know, planets aligned kind of thing because had I not, you know, assisted at that studio back in Italy, had I not had a passion for analog tape and and analog sound and all that, things might have not worked out or that opportunity might have not worked out. But luckily it did. And a week into working with Mark, I was already recording Uptown Funk with him and Jeff Basker. All to tape, uh, which was a challenge but i guess because i made it happen that's kind of how it started pretty much that was uh 2014 almost 10 years ago
0: wow and you've done a lot of work with mark since yeah
1: yeah 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 i've done i've done two of his solo albums the uptown special and uh, late night feelings which we did in in the u.s so kind of worked mainly with mark 14 to 16 uh, and obviously, you know, the beauty about working for a producer is that you meet so many people. You meet a lot of artists, you meet a lot of other producers. And, and so you just start building up context everywhere. And we were based in Tilyard. We had a, a beautiful studio in Tileyard which sadly no longer exists. It has been turned into Atmos Rooms. How sad is that? And it was beautiful because, you know, Mark had an incredible collection of vintage gear between Synths, Outboard. We had a Fairchild, we had Pultex, you, you name it. We had We had a a beautiful, beautiful collection. And so not only I was working on his projects, but then if somebody wanted to use the studio, I was the de facto, you know, in-house engineer. There was nobody else. It was just me. So that's the kind of period of of, of time where I met Sampha, where I met Georgia Smith, um, where I met Little Silver, where I met a lot of people, honestly, that I still work with to this day. Um, and, you know, that, that place was really a beautiful showcase of, like a like a mini temple of sound because you could really you know especially with tape it's like the chances of tape machines being you know up to spec and 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 lined up and you know ready to be used without a hustle it's it's quite rare these days i feel like even studios that really take care of them because they don't get used so much you always have the odd you know thing whereas we were we were on it you know like the, the one thing that i really learned fast there was i need to make sure that everything is perfect and i'm a bit i mean it's disrespectful to the same i'm a bit ocd but i'm a bit ocd um and and i've always you know like ever since i started working there for me it was like all right i'm just gonna you know Really take care of the maintenance. I, I'm I'm handy with electronics and stuff, so I, a lot of it could do myself. But then also integrating with specific text for specific things. So it was it was a, it was an incredible learning process, both from the work that I was getting, but also from the sort of work I was putting in to try and make this the best studio I've ever been in, if you know what I mean. And that taught me a lot, you know, um, because then I, I I ended up you know building a a lot more studios for Mark and other people, and. And it's all really just based on experience and the things that you pick up while you do this. And, and it, it, was, it was just an amazing time. Uh, and then in around 2017, I think, Mark relocated to L.A. And so I went freelance at that point because I, you know, there wasn't a situation where he asked me to necessarily relocate there geographically. Um, and also I had already a lot of freelance work that I was doing. Um, I, started, I started doing some work with Sam Smith, Um, I started and and then, you know, the people I mentioned before, like Samfa, Georgia Smith, I was doing stuff basically on the side, you know, in between sessions with Mark. And so at that point, I I, I decided that, you know, it almost was a natural evolution. I went freelance, but still I kept working for you know, on Mark's project until the pandemic for about 80% of my time anyway. Because that's the time where you know Mark went to LA we jumped on his new solo record, which was an incredible incredibly collaborative album, loads of loads of amazing amazing people that you know some of some of which are friends to this day. So again another cycle of that and um, and so I spent the majority of 17, 18, 19 between Los Angeles and New York where we also did you know we did a, a, an album for Yeba, which is probably not only one of my best friends but also one of the artists that I admire the most because she's (sighs) how could you describe it (laughs) incredible she's amazing she's you know it was been a blessing to make that album an electric lady so yeah it's been an incredible journey
0: what strikes me most of all about this is the sheer range of skills that you've you've picked up and equipped yourself with to forge this career because you're not only an analog engineer you're a digital engineer you repair equipment, you build studios, and now you're branching out into production. Do you think that's kind of necessary in this day and age that you have to have that kind of massive range of experience and skills? I
1: think it only it only helps you really because I I mean again I wasn't around in the good old days and and the the you know the the golden era of recording industry. But reading from reading and listening and whatever, you re really understand that. A lot of people were just masters at one craft. And, you know, they did that for not just 10,000 hours, 10 million hours, and they became the the best of, the best mixing, the, the, the best tape guy, the best drum guy or whatever, which is something that always fascinated me. And that definitely was my mentality growing up. But I soon realized that it is an industry that has changed quite a lot. It's an industry that also potentially has a lot less money and less budgets than it had and I think it becomes really you know necessary for any professional to be able to you know branch between all these different skill sets also knowing that it's not like the skill that the, the roles are really in separate boxes anymore I think there's a lot of you know cross-contamination like when I engineer I'm always putting creative input I'm not just pre- pushing buttons or moving mics you know like I'm I'm always producing when I'm engineering or I'm always engineering when I'm producing. I that At least that's what I... That's how I've always always tried to do it, but not forcing myself. It's just always been natural. So I think in this day and age, you know, I'm not trying to say the more you know how to do, the better, but being able to acquire a lot of different expertise and, and spread it throughout all the different, you know, areas makes you a better professional, effectively. Because, you know, you... It has happened to me multiple times with certain artists I work with, where I do like I'm I produce, I engineer, I mix. Then I pick it up after the release. We go like similar like in what I'm doing right now with Sam Smith, like helping out with the live stuff. So you you really are on board with a project from A to Z effectively, and I think that that's you know that's really cool as well to do because you really see the evolution of an album. You really follow along. But yeah, I I, think, I, think I, it, I don't think I've ever forced myself to, you know, branch out and, and become and wear different hats all the time. I also think that that's probably what I started doing without knowing it when I was a kid. Because when I started working at that little st- at that studio in, um, in Treviso, I was like, literally, I was producing bands without knowing what that meant. I was just the guy that was there and the bands would come in and I would be the fifth member of the band. And I was just helping them, you know, I w- they they only needed a demo, but I couldn't help but just be like, you know, you could do this, you could do that if you change this, that, if you rewrite this section or whatever, like that also very much came natural. So I kind of tried to let it be. And I think ultimately this helped to to
0: be more myself. For sure. So you are nominated as Breakthrough Producer of the Year in the MPG Awards. So what are the projects that have got you this nomination?
1: I think specifically for, for this one, it would be the Ezra Collective album, Where I'm Meant To Be, which is a beautiful, beautiful album that we made in the second lockdown. Um, so it's, it's a lockdown baby, effectively. Um, we made it at Livingston, Livingston Studios in North London. Um, Ezra Collective is an incredible band. For you know, if people are not familiar, there's a, it's a five-piece jazz band. But jazz band is such a reductive word, really, because they they bring in so many different influences, uh, from Afrobeat to funk to hip hop to you name it. There's 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 from Fela Kuti to there, there's there's everybody in the in that equation, and that's you know that's so stimulating and so fresh and nice to hear. And you know, I've been. I've been working a lot with Femi, the drummer, um, from back in the day because he he used to work with he used to play drums for Georgia Smith, who I worked a lot with, and so I met Femi like eight years ago, and we've always been like we need to do something together, we need to do something together. So we started doing uh, the sort of like Ezra Collective singles back in you know in 20 maybe 18 2019 we did some rec- record store day stuff um some we we did a song uh called Footprints which is a cover for the Blue Note reimagined and then when you know they were at a point where they wanted to really make a second album they they had made one already um and so we just started doing sessions we we did a little bit of a of a sort of like no I wouldn't call it pre-production because they are very they're very live they're a live band so they go in the room and they just play um, and that's the song. You know, they, they would go into a rehearsal room, they would just come up with structures, riffs, solo, not solo but like allocating solos and, and stuff like that, but there's no there's not a lot of thought because there shouldn't there doesn't need to be a lot of thought. So it's very much an old school production record where producing is effectively helping the artist bring bring them to the vision. Um, you know, production can be so many different things these days, and I feel like a lot of the industry thinks that production is mainly beat making and you know being able to build a, a whole track. As much as that is true, I think a lot of the reasons why I wanted to be a producer and the, the way I like to produce is is being that fifth me- in this case sixth member of the band, uh, holding hands with the artist and going like, "We're doing this together." Like, I'll, I'll be, I'll be your your comrade for this and I'll help you make decisions I'll help you curate this I'll, I'll we'll craft this together and I really really enjoy doing that I think it's one of the most beautiful things to be able to, to you know, give, get given the chance to do that and so that's what we did we did a, like an initial session where we we cut um, two or three songs obviously they're all playing live so the the challenge on this one was how do we how do we make a jazz band sound at the same time live so organic cohesive and give them the ability to because you know you you can put them all in different rooms with cameras and they'll never sound you know the same as if you if they were in the same room so how do we make them feel like they're completely free to be who they are but also how do we achieve a sound that is modern and retro at the same time and is and we are able to have so many different influences and so many different flavors on the same album without having to ch- you know change song by song or necessarily without having to take 6 months to do it
0: sounds amazing and a real example of the the trust that you have to have between a producer and a band that runs both ways because you need to be able to trust the band that they can they can nail it and they need to trust you that you're taking the right decisions on their behalf. Absolutely.
1: And it's it's very much also like in a project like this, you know, I like to say that we produced it together 100%. You know, there was never a situation where, and it's never like this, by the way. You never meet somebody and go like, okay, so I'll be the producer and I'll be the engineer and you'll be the artist. Like, it's just, you just get to work. And then in the aftermath, you go like, all right, what did we do? What did we not do? Like this, And he ends up being clear what is what, you know what I mean?
0: Ricky, thanks so much for your time today. It's been really fascinating to catch up with you. Um, Best of luck in the awards. Um, Fingers crossed. Um, You certainly earned your nomination. Well done. Thank Thank you you so much.
1: Really, really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening. And be sure to check out the show notes page for this episode, where you'll find further information along with web links and details of all the other episodes. Oh, and just before you go, let me point you to the soundonsound.com forward slash podcasts website page where you can explore what's playing on our other channels.